We are starting this series of Christmas High, and, and, and again, I'm very excited about it. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, um, we, and this is what we're going to look at today. We have reality, and then, and then it's like, I don't like reality sometimes, so it's Christmas. Let's escape reality. You know what I'm saying? Reality is we don't have the money to buy like all the presents we want to buy, but we just say, the heck with it. We're going to do it, and we'll deal with it in January, right? Or it's like, I'm trying to watch my weight, I'm trying to lose weight, I'm dieting and all this other stuff, and it's like, the heck with that. I'm eating pecan pie and all these other good things, and I'm going to enjoy my life during Christmas, and in January, I'll make a New Year's resolution, and I'll lose weight then, right? And you name it. I mean, there's various things that we just, we want to escape from, okay? And, and, and it's like this, it's like a high. That's what we do when, you know, that's the whole, that's the whole concept of high is in the sense of, let me go self-medicate because I can't deal with reality sometimes. And so, uh, it may not be that stark when we're talking about Christmas, but, um, it, it kind of is sometimes. You know, we get wrapped up into Christmas. Let's have a good time. Let's forget about the bad things that's taking place around us. Today I want to share with you uh, a message that the prophet Isaiah gave Israel, and I think it was received just like that. Everything around them was coming, crashing down. Everything around them had come crashing down, and, and just, just, they were crippled as a nation. They were, they were economically bankrupt. They were emotionally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. Uh, you name it, they were absolutely bankrupt. And this, there was a message that came through that said, hey, there's hope. And so today, I want to share with you, uh, as we get into this, I want to paint a big picture of where the nation was, uh, the context of the nation. So let's, let's paint this picture for you. Uh, during, back, back in the day, back in the, the day, the glory days of uh, Israel, there we go, oh, that happens every single time, does it? Back me up one slide. Uh, back in the days of, of Israel, uh, the glory days, this is where, this is where we're going to be. Um, they were the nation of nations, okay? They were the ones that all the other nations revered. They were the ones that nations would look at, and they knew that Israel, this Israel, was someone to be contended with. If, if, if they would go up against Israel, they knew that they would lose the battle. They knew that Israel had this person, this entity, this God, Yahweh, whatever, you know, they referred to, you know, Israel referred to him as. Other nations knew that, and they knew that if they would go up against them, they would lose every single time because God, this God, was on their side. Israel was the nation to be contended with. Like I said, they were the ones. They were at the apex. And during this time, uh, there was a king by the name of David that led them. But I want to share with you, it's very important that we understand Israel, okay? Israel was literally Jacob's name, okay? Remember I was talking about Jacob. Jacob was called Israel, and he had 12 sons. His 12 sons made up the 12 tribes of Israel. That's all going to come in play here in a few moments. But his sons, 12 sons, each of them, their line made up Israel. Now, here's, you gotta understand this. Israel, Israel's bloodline at that time was very pure. They were only Jews. They weren't like, in our day and age, some of, uh, some of us have parents that may be uh, on one nationality and another parent may be another, like a German, an Italian or a German, whatever, English, whatever. Um, you know, and, and, and so you have, like, you may be sitting in here this morning, uh, how many American Indians do we have? I mean, we could go, you know, we could go there like pure blood. Does that make sense? Or maybe you're sitting here, you could be like pure German, whatever. But Israel during this time was pure 
Jews. They were pure blood. They were pure Jews. And so they were made up, again, of Jacob's 12 sons, 12 tribes. During this time, now you've got to track along with me. During this time, uh, they had, in their glory years, they had a king by the name of David. David was a king. He was, the, he was a king, man. He was a king that the Bible said was after God's own heart. God said that this guy, even though he committed adultery, even though he lied, cheated, and murdered uh, these things, God still looked at David and said, this man is after my heart. David was a warrior. David was a king that, made, that, that God used, a man that God used to make Israel during this time, Israel who they were. He, anytime they would go up against a battle, they would come out on the, on the positive M, A, because God was with them, and B, David was a warrior. David was a mighty person. And so David, uh, he's ruling. And, and, and the, again, the nation is at their apex. It is the glory years for Israel. David starts to obviously get old, and as he dies, it's time to turn the kingship over to one of his sons. Uh, by the way, you need to spend some time. I'm going to give you a thumbnail sketch, but you really need to spend some time uh, reading this whole story because it's, it's very good how all this plays out. But nevertheless, David begins to die, and it becomes time to appoint the next person that's going to take over the throne. Well, he appoints uh, the next person, his son, to be, which his name is Solomon. Solomon, we know kind of a couple things about. What's one of the things that we know about Solomon? He was the wisest, correct. He was the wise, although it's kind of interesting when you read Ecclesiastes. He kind of got off course, but then at the end of his life, or end of his life, he comes back and says, everything's meaningless. He saw everything outside of God. But then he came back at the end of his life to say, you know what, all these things are absolutely meaningless. The only thing that really means anything is to fear God, is to follow God. And so Solomon begins to rule. Now, uh, take a pause here for a second. Back in the day before, before Israel had kings, um, they said that they wanted a king because all the other nations around them had kings. God said, I'm your king. This is a theocracy. I'm your king. I don't want you to have a king because this is what kings will do. And God begins to lay out this in the scripture. He begins to paint this picture of what, if you have a king, at some point this is what they will do. They will, they will, they will tax you. They will become very wealthy and they will tax you. They will have horses and all, just all kinds of these things. And you don't want that. I'm your king. Well, it, they kept crying around. Well, everybody else has a king. Can't we have a king? And so finally God says, all right, I'll give you a king. So then we started in this process of kings. Solomon really typifies what God was talking about. Solomon really laid heavy taxes upon the people. Solomon was very, 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 very wealthy, very rich. Um, and so, uh, so, so, so we have Solomon playing, playing that role, okay? So Solomon grows old. He, be, he uh, begins his process of exiting from this world to the next. And it's time for him to appoint a son uh, to, to take over the rulership. What we're seeing, though, is the nation starting to go downhill. We had David at the top, at the apex, and as David starts, as he begins to turn over the throne, Solomon takes it, and he doesn't do a bad job, but we see the nation begin to kind of, it, it's starting a downslope. When Solomon dies, and it, he turns it over to Rehoboam, the nation really hits rock bottom. What Rehoboam does, he comes and... He takes over the kingship, and the people, the 12 tribes, remember we talked about the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes came to Rehoboam, and they said this, your father was very heavy on us. The taxes that your father put on us, he was breaking our backs. He was very heavy-handed. Listen, we'll follow you, 
But if you don't lighten up on the taxes, if you don't lighten up on some of these things, we're going to, we're going to take off, okay, is essentially what they said. And so Rehoboam does something very wise. He goes and he seeks counsel. And so as he seeks counsel, he has a couple of different, his counsel makes up uh, elderly and younger people. And essentially what happens is one faction tells him, uh, hey, you, you need to listen to the people. You need to value them. You need to show them that you care about them. And you need to lighten up. One faction said, the heck with that. You go back and you tell them that if you thought my father was bad, you wait to see what I do. And so he thinks about it and he goes and he shares this message with them. You think my father was bad? You wait to see what I do. The nation literally splits. It divides. And so what happens now is, what again was the, you know, this nation that was absolutely the, you know, the, the, the tremendous nation of its time now becomes a nation that's divided, literally divided. Ten of those tribes go to the north and they keep the name Israel. Two of the tribes go to the south and they, keep, uh, they take on the name Judah. By the way, years later, this is where we get the name Jews from, is from them being called Judah. This is after a little bit more of the story. But nevertheless, that's where the word Jew comes from, Judah. And so the nation splits. Okay, if that's the game you're wanting to play, we're out. And so the nation divides, the nation splits. During this time, the northern kingdom starts to uh, starts to really involve themselves in sexual sin and idolatry. God sends prophets. Now again, we're talking about, we have the story. Now when we look in the Bible, we have the, the prophets, we have the major prophets and the minor prophets. All these guys that were called the prophets would come over, play a role in this story where God's saying, you know, and they played different. They played in different parts on that timeline. But essentially, this part there were prophets that would come in to the life of Israel and the life of Judah, and they would say this: "You need to repent. If you don't repent, if you don't turn from your ways, this is what God's going to do." And there was prophets sent to Israel, prophets sent to Judah, time and time and time again, with the message that said, "You better turn. You better turn. You better turn." Ezekiel was a prophet. We've heard of Ezekiel. He was kind of like the yellow light that said. Um, we need to be cautioned here because now we're, we're going too far. And before long, we're going to go past the point and God's going to lay out his, his judgment on the nation. Well, as the story goes, they didn't listen. So the northern tribe called, or the ten to the north, uh, the kingdom to the north uh, called Israel, uh, God, raises up a, God raises up a nation by the name of Assyria to come in and literally lay waste to them. And that's what happened. You know, so uh, Assyria comes in, and what they do is something very interesting. They come in and they take what is the pure bloodline. Remember, the Jews were, the, it was the pure, the nation of Israel where everyone was pure Jew. Assyria comes in, and they'll ta- they took like a woman from a family or a man or whatever, and they started intermingling them with themselves. And so what happened is, and I don't know how else to word this, but they literally messed up the bloodline. That's exactly what they did. And so now you don't have anybody that's pure, pure Jew anymore. By the way, fast forward to today, when we study the end times, the eschaton or eschatology, the study of end times, when Jesus is returning, one of the things that you hear about when you study it is the lost tribes of Israel. What it refers to is that. The tr- they don't know who they are now. They're split. They're div- they don't know who they are. They have been intermingled with. They're no longer Jews. Some of them are part Jew, part of Syria, part all these other things. No one knows their pure, their pure race. And at the end, the end times, it says that the lost tribes of Israel will come together again. And so that is 
That is a prophecy that's yet to take place. And so what happened, again, Assyria comes in to do that. Now, at one point, this is all important, at one point, Assyria makes Samaria, if you've heard of the town Samaria, makes that, that their capital. And Samaria is known for, in Jesus' day, was known for, I don't know how else to word this, but like half-breeds. Okay, that's why the Jews hated the Samaritans. Remember Jesus going through the town of Samaria and he stops and talks to the woman at the well. No one ever did that before, let alone. I mean, no one ever did that before because you were talking to someone that was kind of unclean. They were below you. They were Samaritans. They weren't Jew. They weren't anything else. They were kind of like this mixed race. And so they detested them. This is how it all started back in this time. And so God releases his judgment. He raises up this nation by the name of Assyria. Assyria comes in and literally lays waste to the ten tribes called Israel. Now, down south, you have the two tribes um, that make up Judah. And God raises up a nation by the name of Babylon to take care of them. Uh, Babylon had an interesting war technique. They came over in three different waves and took people over to Babylon to, to put them in slavery. Uh, what essentially what happened or what God, what the last straw was with, with, with God between Judah and God was they didn't let their land lay rest on their Sabbaths. And so every seven years they were every seven years they were supposed to let the land rest, not farm it, just let it rest. And they did not follow through with that. So God said, "Okay, for every seven years you're getting you're, for every year you're getting seven years or whatever it was." And, and they so they were taken over to Babylon for seventy years of slavery. So uh, uh, Babylon comes over and they come over, like I said, in three waves. The first wave they take the leadership, they take the princes, they take the people that are the, the higher echelon. Uh, a, common, a, a person that we all know that went over in that wave would have been someone by the name of Daniel. Remember Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They would have went in the first wave. The second wave would have been like more the middle class and, uh, and, and some of the working class. And the third wave was more of your, kind of like your, lower, I guess, lower class. I don't know how else to word that. But they came over in three waves. After they served in slavery, they were released to come back, in which they did not because they intermarried over there. And, and, and they didn't want to leave their families and things like that over there. And so uh, they got kind of scolded for that too. What you have is, you, had a, you have a nation that was at the top. Israel was at the top at one point. God walked hand in hand with Israel. Anytime Israel, uh, you know, David would, anytime God wanted to take Israel someplace, he told David the king, David would do exactly what God said. Israel was the nation to be revered. And so you go from the pinnacle, you go from the apex to literally nothing. Literally decimation. You go, so when Isaiah writes these words, the climate we find this nation, this, this, this just divided up group of individuals, is they're, just, they're absolutely morally bankrupt. They have nothing. They have nothing to hold on to. They are literally, their reality is literally just bankrupt. And so Isaiah pins, or God, God uh, uses Isaiah the prophet to give them this message of hope. And this message is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This is a passage of Scripture that we sort of use uh, many times around Christmas. If you would, grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And let's look at this together. Isaiah chapter 9. Who's got a pew Bible? Who, what page are you on? 
489, if you're having a hard time finding it. We'll get there quickly. Isaiah chapter 9, page 489, if you're using a pew Bible. Okay, Isaiah chapter 9, again, uh, uh, again, this message of hope coming to them in a, in a very just crazy time, dark time. Listen to what God says through Isaiah. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before, your, before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Listen to these words. For to us... A child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You talk about a message of hope coming in a time of just literal, emotional, spiritual, all these economic bankruptcy. This was a message that came through that said, hey, there's going to be a time. There's going to be a time when there's going to be a king coming and he's going to make things right. There's going to be a time when a child is going to be born. Isaiah would write later, uh, or write at one point in his prophecy too, that when you see this sign, what is the sign? A virgin birth. You don't really see a virgin birth too often, do you? When you see the sign, what's the sign? A virgin birth. When you see that, that is the onset of the prophecy becoming Becoming to, coming to fruition, coming to fulfillment. When you see that, a child has been born. Light is being brought, brought into the darkness. This child, this son, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This would have been an incredible message of hope to hear. Here's the thing, though. As they're living out, this, this message comes, um, comes in, uh, you know, again, when they're, when they're uh, uh, in the middle of captivity and all this other, other things happening. After that, there is literally 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence where they don't hear anything from God. They don't see this. They don't see the prophecy. They don't see anything happen. It's right before Jesus' time. From when we read Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament, when Jesus shows up on the scene, there are four, it is four, there's a 400-year period of silence. Guys, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through something really dark and really difficult and really hard, when I don't hear from God, it's tough. It's extremely difficult. 
These people went through. They had the, they had the words of Isaiah. They had this. They had this teaching. They knew it kept getting passed down, passed down from generation to generation. That it was going to happen at some point. That there would be hope. That there would be hope. There would be hope. At what point, when you're living in the reality of silence from God, do you say, "I'm giving up hope"? At what point do you look around you in the midst of what you're going through? And I don't know what it may be within your life. Maybe you're going through right now, right? You know, as we sit here today, something tragic, whatever, but you're sitting in here this morning or you've been through something. At what point do you cry out to God over and over and over and over again? You don't hear Him and it's like you just want to give up hope. Or you just look at stark reality and you say, I need to escape this. I can't deal with this anymore. Kind of like we're doing right now with Christmas. You know, and so the question I think begs to be asked, begs to be answered, and the question is this, especially when the baby comes, can this baby really make the world right? That was the message in which I think that was presented to them, the question that was presented to them, okay? Because as they're looking at this, they see this child being born in a manger. It's like, hang on a second. I thought there was going to be a king come and set up his government. I thought there was going to be this person, this Messiah come and set up their political kingdom. And they were going to, this person would free us from all this political tyranny that we've been in for some for over 400 and some years, 600 years, we've been serving and being oppressed by other people. I thought that this message that Isaiah was sending out was someone that was going to come and do just that. In fact, that's what the disciples thought when Jesus was walking here on the earth with them. And they missed the concept, later they would get it, but many of them missed the concept that Jesus came to not really free us from the political side of things, but the spiritual tyranny that we had been in bondage to since the garden. Jesus came to release us from that. But the question still needs to be answered from you and I. Can Jesus really make things right in our world? You know, before the world wars, people actually thought that the world was going to get better. When we study the, like I said, when we study the eschaton, the end times, eschatology, we see that people thought that the world was going to get better. When the world wars hit, there was this stark realization that says, things aren't getting better. And now, after, even since like the 1950s, there's been some new thought of, of eschatology, new thoughts coming out saying, well, this seems to be, I mean, it's like this whole new wave of, of mindset went into the study of end times because things aren't getting better. And so, you and I just went through a time of the elections, right? How many of you enjoyed having all the flyers and pamphlets and all that stuff in your mailbox every blessed day for I don't know how many months. Did anybody enjoy that? And, as, and I'm, I don't want to get into politics, per se. But you want to talk about stark reality that you and I live in. We, talked, we heard things about like our nation's debt. How many of you found that message really encouraging? When you hear about our nation's debt. And so when we watch the debates and things like that, we hear about the, we hear about these politicians saying, well, this is how I will handle it. Well, this is how I will handle it. I'm not so sure anybody came out and said, what national debt are you talking about? 
It really wasn't that at all. It was like everybody's concerned, everybody's saying something needs to happen, right? And you start hearing this story about our national debt, and you start thinking about it, and you start thinking about our economy, and, and you keep hearing these people come out and they say, if something doesn't change, if something doesn't change, if something doesn't change, our economy, something's going to happen to our economy, it might crash. You start thinking about, can America crash? Can America go down? Israel never thought that, did they? Israel never thought that their great nation would ever tank. Ever. I don't want to think about that, though, do you? I don't like thinking about that. I don't like thinking about stark reality that says, this isn't right, something's wrong here. And I don't know who can fix it. You know, you start looking at it and you're like, who's going to fix this? Who's going to make this right? We, we heard things about our nation's debt. We heard things about our health care system and how that's going to affect some of us tremendously, have a, have a bigger impact maybe on some of us than others at certain points in times within our lives. We heard about our taxes and how our taxes may or may not go up or down and who knows what's going to happen with that. We heard about jobs and we heard about how many jobs have been lost and how many, where we're at in the whole job market and what's taking place and we begin to think, what What's going to happen with all the kids coming out of college? Are they going to have jobs and all this other stuff? We heard about our relationship with Israel. And if any of us really put some stock in the Word of God, we kind of go back to that promise that he made with God made with Abraham that said, whoever curses Israel, I will deal with. And so some of us believe that we have to, we have to stay, you know, in goods with Israel, you know? And so we heard about that and we heard about all the conflict in the Middle East. We heard about how, you know, if there's nuclear warfare taking place or uh, being acquired in certain nations and this, that, and the other, that nation will attack Israel and all these other things. And you just keep hearing all this stuff. We hear about our constitutional rights being violated. We hear about outsourcing. You name it. We could spend tons of time right here today talking about all those things. I don't know about you. But when it comes to looking at the earthly kingdom, man's earthly things, the temporal part that, that surrounds us, I get a bit nervous as a human. I have four small children. And I'm wondering, what is this going to be like when they, rate, when they get older? And I'm not so sure I can be so confident that America is going to be around and we're going to, our gas, just all these things... We're not going to be affected. I would love to be that confident. But I'll be honest with you, when I look around this earthly, temporal thing, I kind of ask myself the question, can this baby really make things right? Because stark reality is things aren't right. And things don't seem to be getting better. Spiritually, we look at the way the world is going, our culture, our society... Our nation is going spiritually. And those of us that, that believe certain ways within the Word of God, we literally see the acceptance of things that are in direct opposition to what the Word of God says. Things that the Bible is very clear on that God abhors, that God literally hates, we see that in the world we live in, that we not only accept it, but we condone it. And that can frighten us that really, have, that really you know, kind of think in that direction. Things aren't getting better. My question is, do I stay focused on the temporal around us? Or do I look into the manger and say a son has been given? A child's been brought. The king has come. But this king one day 
the government will wrestle on his shoulders. And guys, I'm not so sure the government that he's, that's going to wrestle on his shoulders is the one we're so freaked out about with our gas prices going up or down. I think his government's a bit different. In fact, the Word of God tells us that with his government, peace will last forever and go on forever and ever and ever. I want to escape reality. I don't want to focus on those things because it can frighten me. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have to look into the manger to say, is God big enough? Is Jesus big enough to take care of all these things? Do I really need to be worried? Do I really need to to get scared? Or can I find that hope and trust into this child that we're celebrating right now? And so, the question I want to, again want to challenge you with is this. Do you believe that Jesus can make things right within your life and within this world? Can you truly trust Him? And, and, and again, that passage of Scripture says of the greatness of His government... Is his shoulders going to be this big? Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. Remember the throne that was established so many years ago. So many hundreds of years ago. That's, 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 as we read in Scripture, Jesus Christ will return. Those of us that believe this, we believe that Jesus Christ will return. And he will set on the throne of David once again. Israel will become that great. His kingdom will be established. Guys, those of you that have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do you realize that we're part of His kingdom right now? We are His kingdom constituents. Back in the day when Jesus came, John the Baptist came before Him, and John the Baptist's message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus came and said, the kingdom's here. Do you realize that in our world today that the kingdom is here? Because those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, those of us that are sitting in here and we say that we've surrendered our lives to Him, it means that He fills us so full of His kingdom, His kingdom attributes, His kingdom characteristics, that when we go out into this world that is really chaotic, that is really going to... I want to use a cliche there, but I can't. Things are really messed up. We go out into this world and people look at us and they find hope. They find a message of hope that says, hey, you know what? <laughs> I want what that person has because they're, they've got something. They've got something they're hanging on to. God, He will reign on David's throne over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Do you believe that the baby we're going to be celebrating, that we're celebrating through this season, can make the world right? Do you believe that? And if you do, are you a person that's going to go and share that the kingdom of God is here? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the words that you've given us. God, I thank you for the hope that we can have because we know that so many thousands of years ago you were born 
and you died upon a cross and you came to life and you conquered sin and death and hell. And God, that we can have life in you. God, what a message of hope you give us today. We thank you for that. And I pray, God, that as we, be, we are those kingdom constituents, those kingdom citizens, God, that we will go out and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is, is, is here. That, God, they will see your attributes living in and through us. And, God, for those that you're inviting into your kingdom today, would you please help them to respond? God, I pray that you would not allow the enemy to have any freedom whatsoever in this room right now. That God, hearts would be tipped towards you. God, resistance would be melted away and that they would find peace and love and joy and and life and salvation in you. Father, we just give you the rest of this time here as we close with a couple more songs. I pray that it would be a worshipful time. I pray that you would find glory in it that we would be giving you glory. And God, I just commit all this in the powerful name of your Son, our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.